0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, It is good to be with you today on the Lord's Day. And uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Heath, and we are moving through a short but really important sermon series uh, through our core values. And last week we looked at uh, formative worship, and this week we are looking at our core value of what it looks like for us as a church, as New City, to make room, to make room for people to belong, before they believe. And uh, this sermon series, it's it's anchored in Jesus's parables. And this week, we are going to be looking at a text in Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. You've probably heard this before, but it's the parable of the mustard seed. So it's on your bulletins, uh, it'll be up on the screen, and as always, if you have questions, text them to me and I'll, I'll take a few moments after the sermon to, to answer those. So uh, this is uh, Jesus in Matthew 13, verse 31. He says this, and he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air may come and make nests in its branches. Now let's pray for our time this morning. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. God, we thank you for the scriptures. God, we need your word. Period. We need your word. We need your scriptures. God, this morning, would you... Help us to come before your word with soft and teachable hearts, God. Would we look to and cling to the truth of Jesus as it is presented this morning in your word, in this tiny but powerful little parable, God. We need this this morning, Lord. So would you uh, illuminate the word for us, God? Would you give us clarity and understanding, uh, and Father, would you help us to see the beauty of Jesus, Lord, and that we might be compelled to follow after him. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh belong before people believe. Uh, if you've been at New City, you may have heard us use that expression, that pithy little expression from time to time. Uh, and if you haven't, that is okay because that's what we are going to talk about this morning. But I, I am really excited that this is the core value that I get to talk about. I'm really excited that I get to talk about this morning what it looks like for us to make room for people to belong Even before they believe. And the reason I'm so excited is because this is very much part of my story. This is very much part of how I came to know the Lord in college, that I met Christians in college that did just that. They allowed me and gave me the space to belong even before I believed the gospel. Now, Growing up, I was sort of, I kind of bounced around like a ping pong ball. I was in and out of church, in and out of Sunday school, and you know, I just, I didn't take things too seriously. Uh, I didn't take things too seriously, but, you know, and, and I also had a, a group of friends that didn't, they also didn't take uh, a Christianity or their faith very seriously. So when I got to college, as you may expect, I thought it was very strange that there were that I had peers, that I had guys my age who were taking their faith seriously, who were reading their Bible, who were making an effort to go to church on Sunday. It was it was sort of strange that I saw that this was happening just because it was sort of like foreign territory uh, to me. And, and all that to say is that it, it very much piqued my curiosity. I was wondering, why are they doing that? Why are they going to church why are they reading their bible and for me what i realized looking back now is that i needed people in my life to show me a faith lived i needed people in my life to show me a faith lived out in works of love i needed people to show me what that looked like that they actually cared about me I needed people to, to show me that they, they weren't too self-righteous to, to hang out with someone like me, a, a sinner. And that's, by the grace of God, exactly what happened. That there were believers that I met on campus at Ohio State that they, they made room for me in their living room. Now picture a college guy's house, small living room, there are like six different couches in there because they thought it was super cool to have nothing but couches, right? The carpet looked like, you know, you can't clean it, so you just light it on fire, you know? So, but in that space, they made room for me to belong. The believers, they also made room for me on uh, on, on the furniture in a hotel lobby in Venezuela of all places. Uh, at this point, I was sort of on the cusp. I was on the bubble. I had, I was sort of in, I was sort of out. And I went, by the grace of God, on this mission trip across the world to Venezuela. And there I was celebrating my 21st birthday on, on my spring break trip to Venezuela. And the people there, they bought me a cake. And they sang to me. And that, like, meant, it meant the world to me. It was just something so, simple, so ordinary, so seemingly insignificant, but they, they made time. And also, I can't help but remember that throughout my college summers that there was a, a pastor back home in Northeast Ohio for me that, that made room for me, and all of my problems just spilled them all out on the table, his dining room table. He made room for me even before I believed. So when we make room for folks to belong before they believe, you know what happens? the Lord, he works in these spaces. He works in this space that we carve out to make, to to allow people to belong. He pursues people on the old college couches and on the dirty carpet. He pursues people in hotel lobbies. He pursues people across the dining room table. So what does, what does this mean to make room for people to belong before they believe? Well, Uh, It's up on the screen, but it it means to make room means that our churches, our churches are to be a hospitable and safe place for people who are in process. That they're to be a hospitable and safe place for people who aren't sure what they believe. That someone in process could come into our church activities or events on Sunday worship and that they would have the space and permission to be Process. That there needs to exist room within the churches for people who are skeptical about the claims of Christ, who are apprehensive about Christians, folks who are on a still very much still on a spiritual journey and haven't yet landed the plane. And they may not even be sure where to land the plane. But that our, our churches would also be a safe place for them, but they would also be a safe place for. For believers, for Christians who are struggling with doubt, that they would feel the freedom to express the doubt, that we would even value the, the question of why. Like, why do we believe this? Not only what do we believe, but why do we believe it? That there would be space for, for Christians to, to really wrestle through this and ask the why question. And and, and all of this, we this is a, a value of ours, because when we look the scriptures, when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, this is what he did. This is what Jesus did. He made room for people. He spent time with people who were in process. He welcomed them. So if the vision of our church, if we exist, if New City exists to make the kingdom of God visible here in hilliard if that is our vision then making room for people to belong it's it must be central to how we do things it's it's not optional it must be central it must be a value we we cling to tightly a value that we hold closely to our hearts and that we do the best that we can to, to live that out And that's what the kingdom of God does in the parable of the mustard seed. It makes room for people. It welcomes them. So we're going to talk about, we see two different points in these short yet powerful verses that describe what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the parable of the mustard seed does. It explains what the kingdom of God is like. And it talks about the kingdom of God's arrival. And it talks about the kingdom of God's activity. So arrival and activity. In arrival, we see this in the, in the first half of the parable, and Jesus puts this parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds. Do you hear that? It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches, do we hear how that's, that's how the the kingdom of God arrives? Jesus says it's like the smallest of seeds, the smallest of seeds. It's like a mustard seed. And this may seem like a very, very odd thing for Jesus to do. We wouldn't expect kings, right, to talk about their kingdom in this manner, to say that my kingdom arrives, and when it comes, it arrives like a little seed, we wouldn't expect Jesus to say something like that. Jesus' words here, they were shocking to his first century audience. And, and Jesus is largely talking and teaching the crowds here who are largely, who are, are Jewish. The crowds are Jewish. And in the back of their minds, as they're sitting and listening to Jesus teach on the Sermon on the Mount or in in the parables here in Matthew chapter 13, they they have the storyline of the Old Testament in their head. They have the storyline of the Old Testament in their head. They know their scriptures and they're thinking about the storyline of the Old Testament. And the, the storyline talks about how there will be one, a deliverer, who will come to deliver all of God's people from evil. The, the Jews, they're, they're anticipating and waiting for the Messiah. They're asking this question, is Jesus the Messiah or is he not? Is he the deliverer or is he not? not. And now what the Jews essentially were doing here is that they were putting Jesus in a box. This is what the Jews thought. They had they had all of these expectations. They boxed Jesus in and thought that, that this deliverer, this Messiah, that he would come with apocalyptic power and might, that he would come bringing judgment over evil, that he would come to deliver God's people with uh, iron fist, that he would rule in this militaristic fashion. That was what they thought. That were the, those were the expectations they had. So Jesus, so Jesus, by saying the kingdom of God, that his kingdom, that it arrives and it works like the tiniest of seeds, left people speechless. They were shocked. This is not what they expected. They didn't sign up for this. They were at a loss for words. And of course we know that Jesus' point here, that Jesus' point here in this parable is that the smallest of things, the things that we look at and that seem so, they're seemingly insignificant to us, the smallest of things, they have a great power to bless. The things that seem so ordinary, so mundane, so not flashy, have a great ability to offer blessing. Blessing. To welcome. Because we know, if we, if we look at what a mustard seed would grow into, that people much smarter than I say that, that this mustard seed, when fully grown, would grow into a tree that was 12 to 15 feet tall. And this tree, it would it would sprout branches and leaves and birds. Birds would come and build their nests in them. That this tree, this mustard tree, would, would grow and it would provide shelter and blessing for the birds. Well, a few uh, weeks ago, uh, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across this story of a relative in mine uh, from, from California. And she shared this with me, and I thought it just was, was really powerful. But she says this. She said, last week, my husband was denied the surgery for the heart pump, his only path to actually feeling better and for a longer life. The next day, while I was waiting outside his ICU room while they performed another procedure, I sat feeling blue, angry, confused, and just so sad for him and our family. And then a tiny little woman with a very short, white, curly hair came over to me and said, Be still, Mary. Quiet your heart. Jesus wants to talk to you. Listen to him. Jesus loves you. She then blessed me and put a rosary in my hand and I pulled mine out of my pocket and she told me again to be still and she had this slight German accent. She put her rosary in my hand and I stayed looking at the rosary she gave me for a while, but when I looked up, she had begun to walk away. And I asked several people who she was, but no one really knew. And she says this, my, my great aunt she says this, she says, first of all, first of all, I was being quiet on the outside though my emotions were exploding in a million different directions on the inside. How did she know? There was no one there that knew me this morning. How did she know my name? But by her clothing, I could see that she was a nun and that this is all that I know. She finishes by saying, I'm grateful for the presence of the nun because she saw that I needed peace badly, and when she left, she had given me peace as a gift. The smallest of things, the things that just seem so insignificant to us, so mundane, so ordinary, like offering up our presence to someone in need, that this is how the kingdom of God breaks in, that this is how it arrives. And for the five, it's probably a little less this morning, but maybe for like the two NBA fans that are here in the room this morning, uh, you you may have heard of uh, the San Antonio Spurs head coach, uh, Greg Popovich. That's a fun last name to say, Greg Popovich, but he is the winningest coach in NBA history. He has 22 straight playoff appearances. He's the only coach to have won five titles. That is crazy. 22 straight playoff appearances. And you may be asking, well, how does he do this? Why is he so good? And of course, he's been coaching either collegiately or professionally since the 80s, so he knows a lot about basketball. We can all agree that Pop, as he's affectionately known, uh, he knows a lot about basketball, but, but he also knows a lot about food and wine it's not an uncommon occurrence for before a game for pop to have the the food network show channel on as he's preparing and right before the moments before he heads out to the court but what what pop has done that he has fused together two of his passions that he has brought them together that he has brought together basketball that he has brought together food and that he has created in the spurs organization this culture of belonging. He's created this culture of belonging by fusing together two of his passions. And there was a uh, recent uh, ESPN article that came out, and the writers they were noticing this phenomenon, and they were just so curious. So they wrote a piece on, on Pop and his coaching style, and they asked this question: Why does Popovich, the NBA's, NBA's all-time winningest coach and architect of a two-decades-long basketball dynasty, why does he care so much? about dinner. And what they found was that for Greg Popovich, dinner just wasn't a passion. It just wasn't a passion for him. It was it was a tool. But dinner for Greg Popovich, it was a tool. Uh, There's a quote by a former Spurs guard, Danny Green. He said this about the culture there. He said, "Uh, Dinners help us to have a better understanding of each individual person, and this brings us closer together. And then when we're on the court, we understand each other better. Another former player said, I was friends with every single teammate I had in my time with the Spurs. That might sound far-fetched, but it's true. Those team meals were one of the biggest reasons why To take the time to slow down and truly eat dinner with someone in this day and age is a rare thing. But when we did that, when we slowed down to have a meal with people, you naturally connect on a different level than you would on the court or in a locker room. You connect differently around the dinner table than you would on the court or in the locker room. It's the smallest, this is what this parable is saying, that it is the the smallest of things that have this great ability to help people belong. That food, food has this this stickiness to it that helps people belong. There's a reason why the Son of Man came eating and drinking. There's a reason why Jesus, part of his approach to reaching people was that he came and ate at their tables. That he went to their wedding. That he came eating and drinking. So, making room for people to belong before we believe before they believe it is it is central to how we do things as as a church as a body of Christ that it is central for us and it's a non-negotiable and the reason that it is that we want to hold this so close to our hearts is that we know we know that people today are hungry and searching for a place to belong. We know that people are looking for community. We know that people are looking for friendship. This is just how we are hardwired. There's there's a reason why all of these uh, apartment complexes that are getting built all over central Ohio, there's a reason that one of their marketing strategies is to say, hey, We got community. This is the lifestyle's community. Hey, pay us rent, and you'll have instant community. Come live here, and we'll have things built in. You'll have community if you come and live here. They're they're tapping into this this notion, this desire, the way that we're wired. They're tapping into this, this innate desire that we have as human beings. And now, we can tell people all day long you belong here 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 we can put this on our church sign if we had one we put it in the bulletin we put it on uh our website we can say that all day long but when the rubber meets the road this isn't just something we can we can we can tell people this isn't something that'll work if we only told them but it's something that must be shown to them it's something that they must feel. It's something that they must experience. It's something that that must be demonstrated to them. That we would make room for people in process. That we would make room for people to think critically about what they believe and why they believe it. That we'd have these types of spaces carved out in everything that we, that we do. And I'm so grateful that, that we are doing this, I think, really well. Do this really, really well. And I'll, I'll touch on this in in just a moment but it's these types of spaces that are that are so hospitable that are so welcoming and yet we look at them but they just seem so they're seemingly insignificant they seem so ordinary to invite folks over to our house to sit on our couches or to invite folks to eat at our tables with us but yet when we do this and we engage and we listen we show people that not even the crookedness of their heart is too much crookedness for Jesus. That We show people when we do this that the way into the kingdom of God isn't through self-reliance, isn't through effort, isn't by by being good, but it's through weakness, it's through childlike faith. We show people that we are not Christians because of our goodness, we're not Christians because of our ability to memorize truth propositions, but we are Christians because we are a mess and God is gracious. We begin to show people these things. We get to listen and engage and tell people these things as they sit on our couches, as they eat at our tables, that this is how we make room for people. That this is the type of the culture, this is the type of culture that the gospel creates. This is what the gospel does. This is the type of of culture that the gospel creates. We invite people into this type of culture in our church. And we invite them in. We listen and engage. And we we say stuff to them like, you know what? You know what? You belong here. You belong here. And you know how I know that you belong here? It's because I'm here. I'm here and I've got problems. I've got sin. I've got things that I'm not proud of. I got things that I said that I've regret. And yet Jesus welcomes me. Jesus welcomes me, even me. And Jesus works in my life, and he changes me so that I might love him more, so that I might love people better, so that I might be less selfish and less self-reliant, so that I might be less of this and less of that, and more generous and more gracious. The gospel creates this attractive community, this place of belonging through just the most ordinary means, through the most ordinary ways. This is how the kingdom is built. People come and they sit on our furniture. We invite them to drink from our cups. We invite them to not be shy about having seconds. We listen and engage and we tell them, as C.S. Lewis put it, that I, that I, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. This is what it looks like to create this type of culture this is what it looks like to make room so that people can be in process that they would feel welcomed it's the culture the type of culture that the gospel creates so the kingdom of god's arrival and now the kingdom of god's activity and we just we see this it's very short here at the end of verse 32 can't miss it but when the tree has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and they make nests in its branches. So the kingdom of God, it arrives in shockingly small ways. And yet, when it is full grown, when the tree grows 12 to 15 feet, it becomes a place where birds build their nests. It becomes a place where birds are at rest. That this is the activity of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God, it makes room to bless. That's what it does. It makes makes room to bless. Now, one of the the most well-known stories of of Jesus, I think, in my opinion, is the story of Jesus just going into the temple courtyard and just flipping over tables. It's the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. And Jesus, he is so angry because people are getting ripped off. People are getting taken advantage of. And he is so angry that John chapter 2 says that he comes in with a whip, and he's cracking that thing, and he's driving out the money changers. And do you remember what it says in Matthew 21? What does it say? Jesus says that my house, my house, my temple shall be called a house of prayer. But you, he's speaking to the money changers here, but you, you've made it a den of robbers. Now, Jesus is so upset. He's so beside himself because the temple, it was being improperly used. That the place, the actual physical place, the part of the temple where all of this was occurring, it was in a courtyard, courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles. Now, the Court of the Gentiles, it was this, this courtyard within the temple in which anyone was welcome. It was this actual physical space in which rabbis and teachers of the law were ready and willing to engage and listen to people's questions about God and that they would respond and dialogue about them. It was a physical, actual space designed with the seeker in mind, designed for the person who didn't hold the same worldview. World it was designed for the skeptic, You see, the the word Gentile, it was literally a place for the nations. If you look at, uh, in in the Hebrew, the word for Gentile is this word called goyim, which also gets translated as the nations. So the court of the Gentiles, it was this meeting place of diversity, diverse in culture, language, race, religious affiliation. The Jew was welcome, the non-Jew, the circumcised, the non-circumcised, those educated in the law, those who questioned the law, the rich, the poor. So in Matthew 21, here was where, here was where this physical space was, was built. This physical space was, was built and was meant and designed with the seeker in mind. It was this very space that, that is also significant because it tells us something about God. It tells us about his missional heart. It tells us about that his desire is that the unconvinced would have a space next to the convinced. This is what the court of the Gentiles is, is showing us that there would be a place that he's built, specifically designed in mind, with the skeptic, with the seeker, for them. But yet we see the improper use of it. We see that the skeptic and the seeker they are getting crowded out, that the money changers have brought in their tables, they've built their booths, and that they're ripping people off. and the skeptic and the seeker aren't welcomed. That the money changers have have taken it over with their with their furniture that 's not hospitable with their furniture that 's not welcoming so Jesus he comes in and he makes room because that 's what the kingdom of God does it makes room to bless and now there's a, a christian author uh, Australian author his name is John Dixon and uh I love the story that he tells about his conversion, about how he came to faith uh, in this book that he wrote called uh, A Doubter's Guide to Jesus, Introduction to the Man from Nazareth for Believers and Skeptics. And in one of the chapters, he kind of recounts in vivid detail about his conversion. And he says this, he says, My introduction to the faith came not through family tradition or church attendance, but through the irresistible power of friendship and good food. My ninth grade scripture teacher had the courage one day to invite the entire class to her home for a discussion about God. Now, the invitation would have gone unnoticed, except that she added, I'll be making hamburgers, milkshakes, and scones. So one Friday, several weeks later, we found ourselves sitting on the comfortable lounge in this woman's home with a half dozen other classmates feasting on hamburgers and bracing ourselves for her God shtick. As I looked around the room, I was amazed that this woman would open her home and her kitchen to us. Some of the lads there were noted sinners in our school. One was a drug user and seller, one a class clown, one a bully, and another a petty thief with a string of breaking and entering crimes tied to his name. What was this woman thinking, having us over for a meal and discussion? And while we returned the next Friday and the next and the next and the Friday after that. and in fact, we turned up most Friday afternoons for the next year and a half. and at no point was this teacher preachy or pushy, but her style was completely relaxed and incredibly gracious. When her VHS player went missing, she almost made nothing of it even though one of us had taken it. For me, for me, her open and flexible and generous style toward us sinners, was the doorway into understanding the significance of the Christ. As we ate and drank and talked, it was clear that this, this was no missionary ploy on her part, but she truly cared for us. She truly cared for us and treated us like friends or sons. And over the course of that next year, she introduced me as well as several others from the class to the ultimate friend of sinners, Jesus Three of those boys are now pastors in churches and I visited her uh, a few months back and she was frail and unwell, but she was full of joy as we reminisced about her influence on me and my friends. And she passed away shortly before I completed this manuscript, but this book, this book that I'm writing is dedicated to her memory. Now the kingdom of God, it makes room like that. It makes room like that to bless That's what it does. So making room, it looks like, it looks like for us here as a church, when we, when we think through everything that we do as a church, when we think through Sunday worship, when we think through Bible studies, when we think through community groups or different outreach events on the annual calendar, it means that as we are designing and planning these events, we're planning and designing for the empty seat. We're planning and designing for the person who is not yet here. We're designing for for the person in the pew who is not there yet. We're designing for the person who is not well-versed in Christianese, who would feel welcomed coming in and be able to understand the gospel and what it talks about Jesus without being fluent in Christianese. It means that that we're designing for, for the person who didn't grow up in church like me. Who didn't learn the story of Mary and Martha until he was a college-age student? Who didn't sing Father Abraham, but now I love singing that song with my kiddos. We're designing for the person who didn't grow up in church, for the person not well versed in Christianese. This is why we do stuff like right our, our question and, and answering. Why we do a Q and A every single week after the sermon. This is why we do the commun- communion the way that we do, so that when we gather around the table, we gather around the table as a family and that everyone stands around the table, whether you are convinced or unconvinced of the gospel, that you don't have to stay in your seat if you aren't sure what you believe about Jesus, but you're welcome to come up to the table and stand around it with us. This is why we do fun celebratory events like the Beloved Oktoberfest or the Low Country Boil or the uh, other events that I'm, I'm missing, uh, but don't tell Sarah. Uh, but it's why we do these types of events. We do these types of events to reach the person who is not here yet, to create this culture of, of welcoming people who are in process of, of making room for people to belong before we believe. So we ask this question from time to time. Do we have space in our church for people's questions Do we have space in our church for people who are in process? This is the direction we want to be heading as a church. This is the direction we want to be heading because of this parable. Because of this parable that the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. That's why we have on that banner back there in the back of the sanctuary, Matthew thirteen thirty-one through 32, the parable of welcome, the parable that makes room for others to belong before they believe. So every Sunday when we come in and we file down the aisle and we sit in our pews, we walk past that banner and we're reminded and we're taught on Sunday patterns for how we live on Monday through Saturday. So when we walk by that that banner, it's just this this symbolic reminder of this core value, the symbolic reminder of, of making room for others before, even before they believe and the reality is the reality is is that we just we just don't know what God will do. We just don't know how he will work. When we have space like this in our churches, we just don't know what he's capable of or what he'll do or how he'll choose to work in this physical space. I still remember uh, the the ministry leader his name was Mark Messenger and he came he came not obnoxiously, but faithfully to my college dorm room because as a as a freshman at Ohio State, I filled out this connect card saying I was interested in all of these like Christian events, but I really just wanted like the t-shirt and the water bottle. But this guy, he came not obnoxiously, but faithfully, week after week. And man, I avoided this guy like the plague. Like I you know, just wanted the T-shirt and the water bottle, so I I avoided him. But but Mark, he made room in his life for me. That he had carved out a space for me. That he faithfully followed up and extended a a gracious invite for me. And you know, he wasn't turned off by. You know, he would, he would come to our sweet door, uh, floor six of Moral Tower my freshman year. He would come to the door and knock, and someone would answer, most likely not me, uh, but he, the door would be open, and he would look inside our sweet floor, and then he would see just there were empties that, like, covered the floor. Natty Light empties just covered the floor, and he, he wasn't turned off by this, nor did he shame me into believing Christianity. But who would have thought that through this man's presence, through Mark's presence, was this this visible representation of Jesus pursuing a lonely, confused, out-of-sorts college freshman? Who would have thought all these years later, looking back on this, that Mark coming to my door week after week would just be this, this visible representation of God pursuing me? I certainly wouldn't have thought of that. But thanks be to God. So the church that makes it a priority, that makes room for people to belong before they believe, when we do this, when we invite people into our living rooms, when we set our tables for them, we just don't know what God will do. We just don't know how he will work. But the church that keeps this central, that, that holds this value closely, we provide a safe and hospitable place for people who are in process. Let's pray.